1: God has promised that I'll have children, and now I am to sacrifice my only hope of having children. Are God's promises real? Mm-hmm. So all temptation is a, temp- is a challenge to the reality of God and his promises. That's our definition for temptation. A challenge to the reality of God and his promises. And what we see in Joseph is the temptation against the reality of God. I mean, Joseph's brother cast him into the pit and sold him as a slave. That's a temptation for Joseph because what happened was against the reality of God who promised him that his brother's gonna bow down to him. When Potiphar's wife here has caused Joseph to land in prison, that's a temptation for Joseph because what happened to him was against the reality of God who loved him and was with him. And temptation is anything that's against the reality of God. And temptation to sin is against the reality of God, who is holy and without sin, God is, and God judges sin. So looking at Joseph now, how could Joseph do what it says in James 1 again? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I mean, Joseph has no defense. He's got no defense against Potiphar's wife that he can do without hurting her and Potiphar. And all the men really seem to be against Joseph. You don't have anybody stand up and say, oh, you know, I don't... No, they're all willing to believe Potiphar's wife because, after all, you can imagine how these men are just a little envious. I mean, who is this guy? He's a Hebrew servant. All of a sudden, he's ruling over us. And so, how Joseph goes through these temptations is a lesson for us. First, we see the temptation, as you said, is that anything against the reality of God, which includes the reality of his love, the love of God, the reality of the care of God, that's the most important reason temptation is to be resisted. And it's to temptation is to be viewed as said, Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Really interesting that the word endure has the word END, endure. They're looking to the end. You've heard of the patience of Job. I'm quoting from James five eleven. James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. Now, when it says you've seen the end of the Lord, that doesn't mean that God has finished, you know. (laughs) It means you've seen the end or the purpose of the Lord, what Joseph finally did. What Joseph realized is that God had a purpose in this temptation. Joseph probably felt as if he was in a pretty good position before this happened in Potiphar's house. He's thinking, this isn't bad. I mean, you know, I'm the top person here and I have all these people who are obeying me. But one of the ends or the purposes of God was to put Joseph over all Egypt. And that meant that Joseph had to be taken out of the position in Potiphar's house. Now, maybe Joseph could have preferred that it not be via prison, but... (laughs) It's important for us to realize that God is in the upgrading business. He's in the upgrading business. He always has an upgrade for us. But before he gives us the upgrade, then, you know, and that's what we're looking at right now in the life of Job, in the life of Joseph, in the life of Job, in James 5.11. Job was really in a pretty good position before all his troubles happened. But God wanted to bring Job to an even greater, better position, an upgrade with all those daughters, you know, anyway, okay? But first, <laughs> I don't know, I don't have any daughters, it's okay. But first, God had to rip up Job's existing boarding pass. Have you ever been in an airport where they give you an upgrade? They say, can I have your boarding? Before they give you the upgrade, they say, can I have your boarding pass? And they rip it up in front of you, you go, oh no, you know, I'm going nowhere now, <laughs> you know, until they give you the new one. And oftentimes, there's a delay between ripping up the existing boarding pass and giving the upgrading boarding pass, in, I'm talking about with God. And that was the case here with Joseph and with Job. So the goal to keep in mind with temptation is the afterwards part, the afterwards part. In Hebrews 12, 11, as it says, now no chastening for the moment seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless afterward, afterward, yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness, unto them which are exercised thereby. No trial for the present is a happy time. But afterwards, it yields fruit. Now, this last week, I was speaking to a believer who's been diagnosed with cancer and is going to start chemotherapy, as a matter of fact, tomorrow. And he kept telling me on the phone, I can't believe this is happening to me. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And I told him, you know, and I understood because I went through that. And I told him, you know what, looking back now, I'm glad I had cancer. I'm actually glad I had cancer because of what cancer did for me. It wasn't pleasant at the time, wasn't joyous. And David put it this way in Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. So Joseph is gonna have some strong temptation Coming down the road to think pretty highly of himself when all the Egyptians are bowing down to him. But because Joseph was afflicted, he didn't go astray through pride, but he stayed humble before God. I don't know. You look at Solomon's life, I don't see any great afflictions. I don't see any great temptations, but I see pride that got in there. Now, Psalm 119, verse 71. Psalm 119, verse 71, David goes on to say, It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. So from affliction, David learned that the word of God was more valuable than silver and gold. I watched an interview with Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, Warren Buffett and it was interesting, he said this, he said, I'm 86 years old, and I'm in pretty good health, he said, and I can buy anything I want. All I have to do is want it. I can buy anything I want, but there's one thing I cannot buy, and he said, time. I can't buy time. I can't buy more time. Being afflicted teaches us that God and his word is more valuable than silver and gold, silver and gold. Now, there's one requirement to endure temptation. And it's stated in Hebrews 6.13. Hebrews 6.13 6, puts it like this: For when God made promises to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promises. Abraham was Joseph's great-grandfather. And Joseph's grandfather was Isaac. And Abraham was given the promise of a vast people to come from him, but for years he went with no children until Isaac was born. And then Abraham had one requirement to endure this temptation of, is God real? Are his promises real? In other words, of having no children, and that was patience. And then he obtained the promise. I mean, there was Joseph; he's got this promise of being ruler, and he's got one requirement to endure all that's happening to him now, in prison. And the, that requirement is patience. Patience. Temptation always hits us where God has made His promises, and that's seen in the life of Abraham, because it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen Hebrews eleven seventeen by faith. Abraham, when he was tried, or tempted, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Those promises were about his progeny. And he's being tried and offering up the only hope for his progeny. So finally, Abraham has gotten his only son. And that was where God had made his promises to Abraham that he's going to have this vast seed. And now Abraham is tempted by having to offer Isaac, his only son, as a sacrifice, and he obeys God, and Isaac is not killed. The reality of God and his promises, those were challenged when Abraham was to offer up his only son as sacrifice. That was Abraham's temptation. And in the same way, the reality of God and his promises to Joseph to be ruler were challenged when he was cast into prison, that was Joseph's temptation. And for several years, Joseph had to think about all this as he's down there in prison. And he had to think about how the reality of God and his promises were being challenged when he was in prison. And he also had an opportunity to think about the temptation of Abraham and how Abraham just patiently waited. We're really talking about his great-grandfather. So his great-grandfather, Abraham, just patiently waited, and he saw the reality of God and the fulfillment of his promises to him later. And that's true for us. This is true for us. Our circumstances go bad, and that's our temptation, which is a challenge to the reality of God and his promises to us. And like Joseph, sitting in prison, who can think about what his great-grandfather's temptation and, and Abraham's patience, and we can also sit in our prison Of bad circumstances, and think about not just Abraham, you have to Abraham think about, we can also now think about Joseph and many others in the scriptures whose reality of God was challenged, his promises were challenged by the circumstances that were their temptations. Every temptation is a challenge to the reality of God and his promises, which means that every temptation, there's the same challenging questions. And those questions are where is God? And where are his promises? Every temptation comes with this question. Where is God and his promises? This is what David asked in Psalm 89, 49, Psalm 89, 49, when he says, Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? And when we ask all those questions, where is God, where is God, where is God, then we're really weak in faith. We're weak in faith. We have infirmities. Infirmities. That's the one single, that's the word that David used. And there's one one remedy also for this situation. As David said, Psalm 77, 7, Psalm 77, 7. When David goes through this, and he says, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. So when he says that, he says, now just stop and think about this a little bit, as he has been doing. Then he says in the next verse, Psalm 77, verse 10, Psalm 77, 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. So David was plagued with this one, where is God, where is God, where is God? Finally, he gets relief when he switches the blame from God to himself, and he says, all these questions, that's my infirmity. That's my weakness. In other words, this is not God's weakness, it's my weakness. And then the question becomes, okay, what do you do? And he says, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. So that means to immerse ourselves in the accounts of the Bible, like we're doing right now with Joseph, to the point where they become immediate. These accounts become immediate to us. It's like we're right there with Joseph. You know, I remember when I was finding out that the largest lab in the world, Quest, they knew they had a faulty lab test and that was really seriously harming dialysis patients' lives. And I started this campaign to explain to the doctors how Quest and the subsidiary Nichols Diagnostics were potentially killing Dialysis patients, and Quest didn't appreciate that, and so they decided to financially destroy Scanabodies through a patent lawsuit. They bought a patent, filed a lawsuit, and I remember sitting for those five weeks in the court trial, very painful, and looking at all those lawyers from this six billion dollar company trying to put their heel on us, a little twenty-five million dollar company. And it looked really bad. It looked really bad. I mean, they were accusing scanner bodies of infringing a patent. They're not good. And I knew the patent wasn't worth the paper it was written on. And it later was invalidated. But it wasn't invalidated then. And during that time, Pastor Jim gave me a promise, which I wrote down in a little book. And I opened it, I read it every day of the trial. And the promise was Isaiah fifty-four seventeen. Isaiah 54, 17, which says, And no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment. had a lot of those tongues in the courtroom. Thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the service of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So like Joseph, my temptation was, during that five-week trial, was a temptation, where's the the reality of God and of his promises. We had a judge that was so much against us that he actually ended up overturning the jury's decision, which was for us, and he declared us, Guilty, but you know, some judge. Yeah, somebody just tweeted that recently. But every day, <laughs> every day I was in court, I looked at that verse, and the judge was ruling in their favor. And I was thinking, it doesn't look like Quest weapons, for and against me, are not prospering. It doesn't look like I'm condemning Quest. The court is not making me to look righteous, infringing a patent. And that was my temptation, which was a challenge to the reality of God and his promises. But just like Joseph, I had to go through it, through the declared guilty phase, until it all, like Joseph, it all changed. First, the Federal Circuit Court in D.C. overturned the judge and declared that I was not guilty. And then I saw that, oh, quest weapons formed against me really didn't prosper. And then second, the Department of Justice took up my whistleblower case where I condemned Quest for intending to deceive and deceiving dialysis doctors and Quest subsidiary that they were doing it through Nichols Diagnostics took a felony guilty plea and that was the end of the company. Nichols Diagnostics shut down the 30 plus year company, $50 million, done. Joseph's temptation and every temptation is a challenge against the reality of God's promises and what's needed for this, to beat this, is patience what the Bible calls faith and patience, faith and patience in Hebrews 6.12, Hebrews 6.12, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And it doesn't mean that we're gonna see the promises necessarily realized in our time on earth, doesn't mean that, but we will see them realized. But faith always sees them afar off. Faith always sees the promises afar off. In Hebrews 11, 13, Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Joseph had God and his promises, and that enabled him to keep clean from the filthiness of the flesh from Potiphar's wife, and that's fulfillment what he was doing with 2 Corinthians 7.1, 1, 2 Corinthians 7 1, which is to us written. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Joseph was totally alone. Isn't that amazing? Joseph was totally alone in Egypt. He didn't have any, any prayer meetings to go to, you know. He didn't have any fellowship meetings. He didn't have any small groups he'd go to. He didn't have church he'd go to. He was totally alone. There was not another believer there. And he was confronted day by day by day by day with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife was this reflection of the corruption and the lust that was in Egypt. Corruption and lust were normal in Egypt. And all Joseph had to escape Egypt's corruption and lust were God's promises. And Joseph was alone. And the corruption and lust were becoming more and more normal in our day. Corruption and lust are becoming more and more normal in our world today. Like Joseph, God has given us these promises to escape the corruption and lust that's in the world, as it says in Peter 1-4, 2 Peter 1.4, 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, through lust. Now, why did God allow this all to happen to Joseph? The same reason he allowed this to happen to Israel as the people of God. He said in in Deuteronomy 8, 2, God says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what's in thine heart. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. He wanted to bring out... In the open, what was in Israel's heart, would they trust God or not? And to strip Israel of all other hope other than in God. And those are the two reasons, same two reasons that God allows temptations for us. What is really in your heart? Are you a fair weather sailor with God or are you, or you trust God when times are hard? And second, to be stripped of all other hope except God and it causes us to trust in him completely. And so we, we see this, When we look at all this, this is what we see in Joseph. But there's something else we see in Joseph. Joseph really here in Potiphar's house, in his prison, and then exalted, is a picture of the history and future of the Jewish people. Just as Joseph was in pretty good circumstances, pretty good situation there in Potiphar's house, the Jewish people are in pretty good situation right now today, pretty good. But just as Joseph was cast into prison and nearly died, The Jewish people are heading for some very hard times called the Tribulation, where it's described in Zechariah 14.2, when God says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then in Zechariah 13.8, Zechariah 13.8, this is Joseph being cast into prison. And it shall come to pass it in the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. So, and then Joseph is lifted up out of prison and becomes exalted. So the Jewish people are going to come out of this tribulation in Zechariah 13.9, Zechariah 13.9, I will bring the third part through the fire Refine them as silver is refined. Try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it's my people. And they'll say of Jehovah Jesus, the Lord is my God. And just as when Joseph was lifted up out of prison, he was given this honorable title of being next to Pharaoh. And when the Jewish people are rescued from the attacks of all these nations, they'll be given this honorable title of the people of God. And when Joseph was lifted up, all Israel came to him for food. As it says in Genesis 47, 15, Genesis 47, 15, when money failed in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money failure?" And just as all of Egypt came to Joseph for physical food to not die, so all the people of the world will come to the Jewish people for spiritual food. From God, as it says in Zechariah 8.23, Zechariah 8.23, Then saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. So what's happening to Joseph needs to also be seen in the light of prophecy. All right, what have we seen? We've seen that Joseph did nothing wrong. He was falsely accused nearly killed, cast into prison. We've seen how all these temptations, in Joseph's case, in our case, are really a challenge to the reality of God and his promises. We've seen how patience is needed to resist the temptations of the questions, where is God, where is the promises? And we've seen how his purpose is to purify us, to go through these temptations, to strengthen us, to trust in God. And we've also seen how, and we will see, how Joseph is our example To follow when we face with these temptations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have recorded for us here about Joseph, and we pray that we might be pleasing to you in our lives as we meet challenges in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages at IsraelRestoration.org Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California That's S-A-N-T-E-E Santee, California 92071 Or you can email Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051-1800. 247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.